All right, hello, Instagram. Welcome to OT with DA and JJS. JJS, Jennifer with Jill Schwerzer. <laughs> yeah. So I guess this would be OT with DA and JJS. Perfect. Or would it be OT and JJS with, no. DS. DJ. Oh. Yeah, something like that. Dr. J. Anyway, welcome everybody to uh, day eight. Day eight. And I want to show you something extremely cool. Uh, but before I do that, I'm going to wait for some more people to get signed on. So we'll just greet a few people. Hi, Cassandra. Hi, Kendra. Hi, Michelle. Uh, D Winter B says, so excited for tonight. Me too. <laughs> for Life, a student for life says, hello, guys. Nice to see you. Well, it's nice to see you. It's nice to see your avatar, at least. It's mm -hmm. nice to have you here digitally. Uh, Y'all are funny, says Hannah. Well, we work on it. <laughs> Howdy, Jen. Hi. Hi. Uh, let's see, day eight with the emoji there. Hi, David, says Coach Warren L. Hi. Josh Barton. Hey, I texted you today. Love you, brother. Miss your family. I'm going to be there in March. Let's hang out. All right. Uh, hello, Stephen. Hello. I missed that. Hello, Holmes Home. Hello, Porter Six Pack. I'm looking for a flood of blessings tonight. Yeah, I see what you did there, Porter yes. Sixpack. Well done. Jen, greet some people here. I don't know them. Okay, well, you I just read their names. Okay. Hello, Stefan Helsinger. Helsinger. Uh, sweet Cakes. Oh, she's amazing. Oh, you need to follow her. Oh, she no, is I think so, I already am. She's amazing. Okay. I love her. All right. Um, okay, who else we got? Hop79. Hope's, yeah. Hope. Hop? Okay. Okay, great. Stand Welcome, everybody. So we are on day eight of OT with DA. And once again, we have Dr. Jennifer Jill Schwerzer with us. Jen, you've done two evening sessions, is that right? Two evening. Or uh, evening, or two, two of the main sessions. And then yeah. we did a supplemental session or something. Yeah. Am I right about that? Yeah, three total. And uh, you will not be with us tomorrow because no. you have, you're busy working, because you have a job, you're a counselor. That's right. And uh, But then you will be back with us the day after that. You're yeah. gonna be with us, I think, two or three more times. Is that right? Two more after tonight. Okay, so tonight and two more. Great, so we're happy to have you. And we've got more guests lined up. Remember, we've got, I think our next guest is D. Casper. In fact, he arrives, I think, the same day that you leave. Oh, really? So yeah, I just had to like cram everybody cram in. So welcome. Oh, the thing I was gonna show you that's so cool. Look at this. Look at how far we have come already. I mean, I feel like we just started and we're already more than a hundred pages into the book. I, that's one of my favorite things about reading a book book because yeah. I now read more and more on Kindle and yeah. I like reading electronic books because sort of, of the search function yeah. and things. But yeah. but I love the the sense of accomplishment. Yeah, you know you can feel it. It's tactile. And do you do, just just be honest? Do you go like this? Do I do what? Like when you get to toward the middle, do you like compare and see how much? Oh, of course. The third way oh, always. Halfway, yeah. Well, what I often do is I'll go look how many pages are in the book. Oh, there's 428 pages yeah. in the book. So I'm waiting till I get to that, whatever it would be, middle. you know, 224. Yeah. And then I feel like, oh, I'm halfway done. That's right. I'm, I got this. Yeah. So, hey, Jennifer, what did we do today? We went rock climbing. I took jo Dr. Well, Jennifer Jill really Schwerzer. Yeah, well, indoor rock yeah, climbing. Indoor rock climbing. I would have preferred to have taken you outdoors, but it's a little cold and a little snowy I here. I would want to do outdoors. There's not as many like predictable handholds and stuff. I'm just kind of new at this. She's very good at it, though. She she did extremely well. Uh, in a former life, Jen, you were a dancer. Am I right about that? And so dancers obviously have a lot of body control. They yes. have a lot of sort of core 
stability, the awareness, of the awareness, parts, yeah. exactly. And so when Jen was climbing today, you said you were afraid of heights, but you did great. I'm afraid of heights, and I was trembling a little bit. You couldn't tell, but what I what I said to Jen, and I'm going to say to you it all now, when helpful. she climbs, you climb like somebody who knows how to climb. Wow. Because I've spent years and years, I started climbing when I was a teenager, and I love to introduce people to climbing. Yeah. And one of my favorite things is to see people get it. Mm. And there are certain people that as soon as they get on the wall, they're just natural climbers, mm. and, and you look like that. Thank you. Well, that's really nice. Yeah. I was terrified. But you helped me a lot as well. Well, it was and fun. I, was I it fun? To, I got to the top four times, so that was kind of a, an accomplishment. Yeah. But I knew it was last time because I was really shaking on the last one. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was hard. Like it was facing yeah. a fear, you know, and then, oh, you know, can I really do this? But it was really, it felt good when it was all over. And are yeah. you sore at all or no? Not yet, but I think I'm probably going to be sore tomorrow because I It'll don't be the next day, probably. arm stuff. Yeah. Delayed yeah. onset muscle soreness, yeah. otherwise known as DOMS, normally sets yeah. in for most people in Second day. 48 hours, yeah. right? Okay. Okay. Well, welcome everybody to OT with DA. We are in chapter seven, The Flood, and tonight is a great big, hugely important pivotal chapter mm -hmm. and it is a chapter very much like the it's heavy it's heavy mm -hmm. and very much like the previous chapters that becomes a lens in fact let me just say this the entirety of genesis chapters 1 to 11 okay so 1 to 11 which is right up to the abrahamic covenant and story which then goes from genesis chapter 12 and the family of abraham all the way to genesis 50 so those those opening 11 chapters are unquestionably the most controversial chapters in all the Bible. More controversial really? than, oh, by far, than the resurrection of Jesus, the virgin because birth, of the all flood. of that. Well, just, just the idea that the earth is young, that Creation. God created yeah. in seven literal days, that, that there was a tower, that people were dispersed linguistically and geographically. I mean, so modern God, day God anthropologists. Tough, he puts the tough stuff right at the beginning. Well, it's not so much that he... Yeah, that's true, but it, he didn't do that to put the tough stuff there. It's because it's foundational. It's foundational. These are all lenses through yeah. which we view the rest of Scripture. Yeah. And by the rest of Scripture, I mean, yeah. and we'll see this, the Abrahamic covenant. Yeah. Right? When, when, when we finally get to Genesis chapter 12, we've gone through 11 chapters, but some 2,000 years of Earth's history. That's remarkable. Yeah. Right? 2,000 years in 11 chapters, and then as soon as... Moses, the author of Genesis, gets to the story of Abraham. He slams on the brakes, and then over the next 39 chapters, so Genesis 12 to 50, it's like 250 years. Okay. Right? And the reason so for that is... a lot is, of time elapses in that first uh, 10 exactly. chapters. Yeah. Moses is racing... Like going fast forward. ...to get to the story of Abraham. It's really interesting. The Abrahamic covenant with Yahweh. Because there's so much in these first chapters about God's law, his mm -hmm. justice, the penalty for rebellion. It's really establishing his sovereignty Correct. and authority. Mm -hmm. And it's really only in the context of God's sovereignty and authority and justice that righteousness by faith has meaning. Correct. And so we kind of need that. You can't rush to the punchline with and really do justice to the joke, so to speak. So, Jen, before you got here, I and they're just sitting right over there, I won't go back over them, but we looked at four goals that we hope to achieve mm -hmm. in OT with DA. Yeah. And one of those goals was to understand not just that Jesus is the hero of the story, yeah. but why. Yeah. Exactly. Why is Jesus the hero of the story? And you have to define the problem exactly. thoroughly before you can appreciate the Correct. solution. Yeah. The, the, if you just rush to the New Testament, yeah. it's not that you can't be blessed and that you can't it have... Che it cheapens 
Exactly. exactly. So, so I like to say, and I'm not the person that originated this, but it's so true that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. Yeah. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. revealed yeah. Right? And so if we're going to have a full appreciation for the good news of the gospel, yeah. the good news of righteousness by faith, the good news that we encounter in the New Testament, yeah. our appreciation for that will be in proportion to the effort and energy that we put in to do the work in the mm -hmm. Old Testament. Well, it's kind of like the books of Daniel and Revelation. I mean, Daniel is very authority-based, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and basically the, the core of Daniel is establishing God's sovereignty, that he is the most powerful yep. of all the gods. And then Revelation, the central figure, is the lamb, and Ooh, the sacrifice of now. God within the context of all that sovereignty and power, the sacrifice that God made has meaning. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love it. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to start with prayer. A reminder to use the OT with DA hashtag on all of your social media uh, accounts. Also, um, if you are interested in getting the 10% off of either the journals or the Conflict Beautiful, and Jen, you could use a Conflict Beautiful if I do say so. You're Feel looking, free to gift me, David. Well, maybe. You know, it, it could happen. It could my happen. My birthday is coming uh, up. You want to go to the Types and Symbols online store, February use the discount 27th. code OT with DA, and you get 10% off and you get upgraded free shipping, and that's only good through the 23rd. Okay, so I don't know what the date is today. I, I, I really sometimes don't even know what. February 27th, which is my birthday. Very close. Okay. There's literally times where I, I go to write down a date and I January, don't know what January month it 23rd. is. January 23rd. Today's the 23rd? Okay. This is your last day. Is that is that true? Is today really the 23rd? That's what my computer says. Okay. Well, computers don't lie. So the, today's your last day. If you want to get in on that 10% discount and free upgraded shipping, January 23rd. Now's the time. This is the time. Uh, Jen, we're going to get into this chapter. Would you open with... Prayer? Happy to do that. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for taking us on this journey. Amen. This chapter in particular is one that sort of grabs us by the juggler and really mm. helps us to see that your law is not something to be trifled with. And that when, when iniquity and rebellion boil over God, um, there is an end to it. And we see mm. how your justice intervened in the flood. And we want to make sure to establish that foundation before we brush to the goodness and mercy and, and the, the, the gospel. But we need to establish this foundation. So we just, we just ask you to help us to be clear, to draw out the core principles in this chapter, mm -hmm. and to give really um, helpful takeaway to the people that are listening. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, welcome, everybody. I want to say right at the outset that for me, there is a single sentence one sentence. And you wouldn't tell me what it was. I wouldn't tell her. That is the Rosetta Stone, the key that unlocks the whole chapter. And uh, we'll get to that in just a little bit. But what I think I'll do is just start by reading the biblical material just very quickly, not all of it. But uh, I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 6, if you'd like to join me there, if you're following along. Genesis 6. And I'm just going to read the flood account here. Not all of it, but I'll read a significant part, part of it. So I'm going to start reading in Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves, all of whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them, 
Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Uh, Just a little bit more here, verse 13. Then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come up before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch, and then the rest of Genesis 6. Now, right before we get into the chapter proper, I want to say, and I'm just going to do the the briefest of treatments of this, and if you're interested in more detail, you can can become uh, an Arise Online student, okay? We would love to have you but, but one of the things that's happening here, and this has been noted by numerous scholars of the Old Testament, that the flood is a recapitulation of the creation account. And there are not less than 10 similarities between the creation account and the flood account. Okay, I'll just run through a few of them very quickly. Um, in the creation account, the earth is covered with water. It is a watery mass. In the flood account, the earth is a watery mass. In the creation account, dry land emerges. In the flood account, dry land emerges. In the creation account, the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the deep, and in the flood account, can you think, Jen, of what the analog would be in the flood account of the Spirit of God hovering over a watery mass? The, the ark? Good guess. Okay. What does, oh, what the does dove. No, the dove, yeah. God, Noah sends yeah. the dove out. Yeah. The dove becomes a symbol of the Holy Spirit. That's right. And so there's another one. Um, when they come off of the ark, uh, after they come off, what's the first thing that God says to Noah and his sons? I'm not going to bring another flood. The first thing he says is, be fruitful and multiply, oh, which really? is the very thing that he said to Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. Now, Adam also fell by partaking illegitimately, Adam and Eve, of the fruit of the garden. Okay. And how does Noah fall in the story just after the he flood? He partakes of the fruit of the garden in a fermented form. That's right. He, he illegitimately partakes of fruit. He becomes drunk. Now, check this one out. His shameful nakedness is seen. By his sons. Right. And, and what happened with Adam and Eve? Their shameful their nakedness, shameful was, nakedness seen. was seen. And then what happened? And then they hid. Yes. Their shameful nakedness was covered by another. That's Adam and Eve had their shameful nakedness covered by another. Oh, that's right. Noah that's right. had, and there, and I think I've given seven or eight of them there, but there are not less than ten. And so, so as terrible. Moses is telling the story, yeah. think of the flood as a reset, like a mm. it's creation yeah. again. In again. fact, one more, just one more. Adam, Adam, literally means the human, and Adam was created from what? Eve was created Dust. from the rib. Adam was made from the dust from the earth or from from the dust and noah is referred to your bible probably says noah was a farmer some translations old school uh king james says noah was a husbandman he grew the the, stuff the literal hebrew is noah was an earth man wow fascinating okay so so as moses is telling the story and as god is revealing the story to moses it's creation 2.0 that's right right this is creation 2.0 it's a reset 
It's not a reset. saying let's start all over again. It's a reset. Things went very badly. We're going to start again. So one more thing I'm going to say as we get into this. Yeah. We're not, Jen and I are not going to spend any time tonight talking about the geology of the flood, the scientific evidence for the flood, the historicity of the flood, except to say <laughs> that we both believe in the full historicity of the flood. We don't think it was a regional or a, uh, you know, an expansive glo- uh, local flood. We think it was a global flood. Just like it says. Just like it says. And one of the great reasons to believe that is that every New Testament writer that refers to Noah or refers to the flood refers to it as an event of history and as a global flood. So what I'm going to do in order to address some of those sort of thorny, scientific, evolutionary, geological issues, I'm going to bring on my my good friend who is absolutely brilliant on these subjects. I mean, decades of research and study and writing. Sean Pittman. Dr. Sean Pittman, he's going to come on. And if you have questions about that you would like to have answered about the flood, about geology, about evolution, about the evidences for creation, put them in the comments because that's going to happen in about a week. I think it's on February 5 that I've got them lined up. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we will put to him as many questions as you throw at us But we're not going to be dealing with that tonight. We're going to be dealing with how Ellen White treats the chapter, which, of course, is as history. And we're going to get into those points of, you know, practical application and theological significance. We will have time to deal with the other later. Is that going to be a special session? It'll be a supplemental session. Exactly right. Exactly. And I would have it would have been perfect to have done Sean like this coming weekend. But I I don't think he could do it. So it has to be I think it's February 5 that we're going to do it. Okay. perfect. Okay, so, Jen, we are. Let me just sort of ask you this question, Jen, right out of the gate as we sort of make our way through the chapter. Was there anything that, give me a feel for your sense of the shape of the chapter. What jumped out at you? Did you have any? Yeah, there was something that jumped okay, out go. at me. Okay, that go. was that over and over again, this is right in the beginning, she keeps saying um, things about the condition of nature and how it really hadn't been too badly impacted. It was beautiful it still. Was still really, yeah. and she, she goes into some really detailed descriptions rich and beautiful in the gifts of God's providence, yes. fruit-laden and with verdure, this verdure. and sweet with, with the fragrance mm-hmm. of a thousand flowers and almost with fruits, almost without limit. And yeah. she just keeps going into these really beautiful descriptions yeah, very much so. of what nature was like. There's and, a lot of residual Eden still and, in the earth. Yes, that's right. And then, and then in a certain place, she says, um, I can't remember the every conceivable fruit, I think she says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, like, after she does a couple of those The fruits of the earth were great in variety and almost without limit. Yes. and But I think she even uses the term every conceivable. Okay. I, I'm I don't not remember seeing that. it right here. But, uh, and then, like, as she gets into the condition of humanity, let me just read this. This is on page 91 in my um, okay. version. How does the paragraph start? And it starts with, the whole paragraph starts with men put God out of their knowledge. So now okay. she's going to get... She's been describing the earth and things are great and it's still wonderful and beautiful. And now she's going to talk about the condition of humanity in the context of all those blessings. So the earth is beautiful. This is, this is the human condition. But what's the human condition? So you go down as a really long paragraph toward the end after the ellipses there. It says the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. God had given men his commandments as a rule of life. But his law was transgressed, and every conceivable sin. That's where you got the every the conceivable from. No, no, I'm saying anyway. Just it keep does, going; it's fine. But that's my point: is that yeah, yeah, God yeah, yeah. gave them every conceivable gift. Got you. And they committed every conceivable sin in response to okay, that. So gotcha. it just shows the 
the incredible ingratitude. They were ingrates. Can, can you finish reading that chapter? Such a great, or that, excuse me, that yeah, paragraph. was the result. The wickedness of men was open and daring. Ooh. Justice was trampled in the dust and the cries of the oppressed reached to heaven. So the mm. sins were not just of a personal, like lust character, like I'm sinning against my own body by acting out, you know, sexually yeah. or whatever, or partaking of alcohol or whatever. These were sins that eventually extrapolated into harm to other people. And I was thinking about that, David, how lust always has victims. Like we tend to want to uh, okay. separate sins into so does violence, of course. moral, of course, but moral sins and then social sins. So the sort of the theology of the day is hmm. if there's consent, then it's okay to do it. Right. The, the, the metric of what's right and wrong is if it's, if, if you give consent to it, then it's okay. Right. But that's not biblical. The The biblical moral code is if it's against God's design, it's wrong. Mm -hmm. And and if it's within God's design, it's right, not just if you consent. Um, so what happens with the consent model is people act out and they can commit um, what we might call moral sins or sins that the Bible identifies as moral, uh, like sins of lust. But mm -hmm. lust always has victims. And I was thinking about that. couple examples. Um, so an unmarried um, boyfriend of a single mom is the most likely, and I'm not saying that every boyfriend of a single mom is going to do this, but statistically, unmarried live-in boyfriends of single mothers are more likely to abuse the children sexually. Mm. That's just statistical. Then another example, to be fair, wow. um, a man that's you know filled with lust and pressuring his girlfriend into sex and she's resisting, but he's pressuring her and she gets pregnant. Well, then what happens? Then either the baby dies because of abortion, he right, pressures right. her into abortion, or she has the baby and she's completely ill-equipped to raise the child and he abandons her. So lust always has, you it's know. It's not a victimless crime. That's right. You know, all of these like crimes against our own selves, our own bodies, extrapolate because when you harm yourself, you can't carry the responsibilities that God wants you to carry and mm. you can't do justice to your life and, you know, carry whatever burden God has given you. And so you end up committing what we would call social sins. And so yeah. it's not like you can actually, in reality, we, you know, society has done this. It has separated social sins from moral sins. And it said, make up your own mind on the moral sins. That stuff doesn't matter. It's just a matter of consent. But just don't hurt anyone else. But you can't actually separate moral from social You sin. can't put a nice little fence no, around no. so-called moral sins yeah. and separate them from sins that have impacts and ramifications in yeah. the lives of others. Yeah. Because as you're, as you're suggesting here, there's this cascading effect yes. that a failure on my part yeah. leads to an abuse yeah. and to an oppression and to an injustice on your part. Yeah. And she paints a picture I actually wrote here on that paragraph that you just read. I just wrote in the margin picture. Mm -hmm. I mean, what a picture here. The wickedness of men was open and daring. That's language. Yeah. Justice was trampled in the dust. Yes. And the cries of the oppressed reached, reached to, to heaven. heaven. Jump down in the next paragraph, she talks about polygamy, yeah. which is a sin against God's original design for marriage. Yeah. And uh, then the paragraph after that, listen to this one. The world was in its infancy, yeah. yet iniquity had become so deep and widespread that God could no longer bear with it. He said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Now, there's two ways to read that passage. You can say, God could no longer bear it, and you can read it through an authoritarian filter. Yeah. Yeah, I'm over this. I'm done with this. I'm, I'm sick of you I'm guys. I'm sick of you guys. Or you can read it as I've written here. It's too painful for God. Mm. Right? God sees pain. God 
feels every throb of injustice and of pain and of hurt and of abandonment, and it's too much. It's too much. His ten- I mean, think about this. The well, New Testament and, and, reveals- And why does he feel pain? He doesn't feel pain. Oh, I'm just so mad that they messed up my creation. He sees the pain of the people that he of loves. Course, exactly. And it brings him to the point of, to the breaking point. He can't tolerate he it He can't, anymore. exactly. Yeah. And, and the, the thing I was going to say there is the New Testament reveals that, that God is mindful. He's aware when a sparrow falls to the ground. Yeah. Okay. I've often said as a, as a, a lifelong bird watcher, a passionate bird watcher, if all we knew about the great God of heaven, yeah. Yahweh, the yeah. creator, was that he was aware and mindful and even touched yeah. When a sparrow falls to the ground, we would know enough to love him and worship that's him. That's right. That's right. And so if a, if God's heart can be aware of a sparrow, what's happening here? With people. With people. That he loves. Correct. Each and every one. But it's that dilemma that you talked about yesterday where everybody is his child. So if one of his children gets murdered, he is pained. Right. But then he finds out that another one of his children murdered Was them. the murderer. And I could say this. I've seen parents go through this process where they will bear along with a child who is perpetrating on other children. Right. And then they'll come to the breaking point where they can't even tolerate that anymore. And that really speaks to the, how, how iniquitous sin really is because yeah. a parent's long suffering toward a child is, is almost immeasurable. It's, a, it's, a, yeah. it's almost bottomless. Yeah. yeah. And that's just a really good illustration. Yeah of sort of one of the larger subtexts in the flood narrative, and that is that that kindness to one is cruelty to, to another, another, right? And so if we're going to be really kind, for example, in your illustration, to that child that's taking advantage of other children, that's right. yeah, that kindness is actually cruelty it's to his ex- victims or her victims. And so you can't really, and that's why the concept of judgment in Scripture is often about mercy to the victims. Ooh, like hey. it says, judge the there widow. We go. And we think of judges, you know, coming down, shaming someone, but it says, judge the widow, meaning discern that wrong is being done to Correct. the widow. 100%. So the whole concept of judgment in scripture really has a heart for the oppressed and the downtrodden. Again and yeah, again. And she, and she picks that up here. Yeah. She uses language just a couple paragraphs before that. She says that humanity was sinking lower and lower. Oh. Right, so so God's plan, of course, yeah. for humanity is that they bear His image, and that they go from glory to glory, strength to strength, and yet they're sinking lower and lower. And I like to say it this way: yeah. mankind's capacity for evil—that's right—and depravity is simply the mirror image, the yin to the yang of that's mankind's right. capacity for goodness, moral that's goodness. Right. That's right. C.S. Lewis makes this point uh, mm-hmm. again and again, and he talks about how. And that's why we should never like put people in a light like they're helpless victims when they have agency like for instance you know the idea that women are always the ones that are are the innocent victims in a marriage conflict uh, that sometimes happens in certain circles that does happen yeah it does happen well what you're saying if they can never be evil they can never be good so uh, yeah okay lewis makes this great point where he says that a cow for example can neither be very good or Or very very bad. bad he says a dog can be more good than a cow and more bad than a cow. A That's bad right. dog is, is a bad situation. Yeah. And then you go all the way up. Well, what about a human? Humans have incredible capacity for philanthropy and love and yes. kindness and magnanimity. Yeah. And then the reverse of that is they have incredible capacity for depravity, violence, oppression, unkindness, sensuality. Yeah. 
So and when you're when you deal with a, a cataclysm or like a really a disaster, like a natural disaster, what that does is the pressure of that experience brings out both the evil and correct. the good in people. Brings That's out right. the best in people. One or the other. Yeah. It tips people. Yeah. It ti- you know you've heard the yeah. old saying that that character is not you are it's not dark. revealed in a crisis. That's Excuse right. me. It's not it's not it's not created in a crisis. It's, it's revealed, revealed in a crisis. In a crisis. And, and these sort of cataclysms can tip people. Can I bring something out about sure. something that was going on as people were getting more and more evil? I just want to read a couple uh, sections right from this beginning of the book. Um, this is in on page 91, and she says, she's talking about this descent into idolatry, and she says, they adored nature in place of the yeah. God of nature. Right. They glorified human genius, mm-hmm. worshipped the works of their own hands, and taught their children to bow down to graven images. So the core of idolatry is to worship human genius. And I thought of this quote that I love from uh, the pen of inspiration. She says, call no man brilliant who has not the wisdom Mm. to choose the Lord Jesus Christ, the light and the life of the world. You know, we use that word brilliant. That's a strong litmus test. That is. And we we talk about people being brilliant. Right. That's a strong litmus test. unconverted people being brilliant. Well, one of the main features yeah. of this chapter, especially in the opening pages, is her focus on immorality and idolatry. Yes. Now, I don't know if you detected this. She never expressly quotes Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. But it's all It's all over there. All and she there. uses the same language. And the argument that Paul makes, and I won't go too deep here, but the argument that Paul makes about the fallenness of humanity in Romans chapter 1 yeah. is that you have this cycle of immorality Feeding idolatry, which feeds immorality, which feeds idolatry, yeah. which feeds and and she yeah. does a great job of explicating that basic idea here that yeah. when we when we elevate the creature, whether it's yes. uh, uh, an animal or a human being, to some idolatrous pinnacle, we actually have no barrier against sin. We we have no reservoir of purity left in us, yeah. and so it opens the door to injustice, oppression, violence, sensuality. That's right. And Paul makes this point expressly. Go back and read mm-hmm. Romans 1, 18 to 31, bearing in mind these opening few pages here, because she is purposefully drawing mm-hmm. from Rome, from Paul's description of the, the sin of the Gentiles sinking lower and lower, lower and, lower. and lower. He's obviously not writing, you know, exclusively or primarily about an antediluvian period, but these things because are it happens over and over. This is just how it happens. Yeah, yeah. It's just the nature of sin. Another feature of that um, degradation happening alongside human beings becoming more inflated in their self-conception is the tendency to create celebrities yeah, uh, among hu- so. humanity. So I just want to read this section here and talk a little bit about celebrity worship. Okay. Because we have that going today, I would say. What paragraph don't you, think, do you don't you think? Men um, put God? Yeah. So this, uh, the paragraph starts, men put God, and then about halfway through, yeah. it says, man will rise no higher than his conceptions of truth, purity, and holiness. If the mind is never exalted above the level of humanity, if it is not uplifted by faith mm. to contemplate infinite, infinite wisdom, wisdom and, and love, love the man will be constantly sinking lower, lower and, and lower. The worshipers of false gods clothed their deities with human attributes and passions, and thus their standard of character was degraded to the likeness of sinful humanity. So that's the point. So what we do with celebrity worship today is we hold these celebrities before our children. And if our children don't have any better role models, they're going to imitate these celebrities. Hmm. But the children don't have, most of the time, the natural gifting or the advantages 
of these celebrities, so they will imitate them, but they'll never reach their height of success in most cases. However, they will imitate their character, which is actually some and their vices, lower. Their vices. That's right. That's right. And so I just want to bring out a couple, you know, just news flashes. Marilyn Monroe's suicide led to 200 more deaths than average for that month. Um, women in Phoenix, after the movie uh, Fifty Shades of Grey came out, the 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 a number of women seeking BDSM pornography, which you probably don't even know what that is, and that's a good thing, but that was featured in this very mm -hmm. evil movie, increased 92%. So there are these copycat suicides and these, these copycat behaviors that people engage in when all they have to fill their field of vision, all they have to worship, so to speak, are celebrities. What's going to happen is they're going to think that they're elevating themselves but they're going to sink lower and yeah. lower because the celebrities no, are preaching, you know, freedom to sin. Basically they're mm. preaching, uh, you know, lawlessness. So people are going to think that they're free. They're going to think that they're being elevated, but they're actually going to sink lower. And yeah. Lower. She talks about that in, in the chapter on temptation in the fall, people purposefully disobey God's yeah. plain commands and even their own internal moral compass and then they feel that they're entering into this higher sphere, sphere of, existence. of existence. They feel this titillation, this freedom. Oh, on, yeah. But actually, it's all deception. And it's intoxicating initially until you start reaping the consequences. Right. Then you start reaping the consequences and you have to go back to whatever the escape behavior was to get more of the same so that you can feed that sense, get that sense of freedom. Back. Yeah, idols don't have to be made of wood or stone or metal. Idols That's can be right. made of flesh and bone. That's right. Right. And, yeah. and a lot of celebrity culture today is simply... Um, idolatry. That's, it's modern idolatry. It is, is, no question. Okay, she then, I'm going to just kind of keep us moving along here, Jen. She then gets into a section where she talks about the, the actual construction of the arts. Which was fascinating. Really because fascinating. The, because she talked about the wood uh, being more dense and right. hard yeah. than the wood we have. And, and to me, it seemed like that was the reason it took so long. Right. It could could that be? be? Uh, hard to say. Yeah. I think that it took so long because God was bearing patiently yeah. with those that he still but wanted to But she says repent. there was much more labor required than to prepare timber now. Sure. Yeah. Uh, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. Um, but God was but they were also being very patient. And they were also extremely, they were much larger and stronger. Yeah. But there's actually a tree in Australia called an iron bark tree. Our good friend Josh Cunningham wrote a song about it called Iron Seriously? Bark. Oh, it's an amazing. It's, and the wood is just, it's, it's not called iron bark for nothing. I mean, the wood is extremely dense and extremely hard. And if you ever see like an iron bark plank and you try to lift it, it, it weighs, because you are accustomed to lifting up a piece of wood. You say, oh, I, I know about what that'll weigh. You lift it up, it weighs three times more than you would, you know, really? think, oh, it's just fantastically dense and heavy. Wow. And so I can just imagine the wood that was used, you know, pre-flood wood, how yeah. hard, how dense. She says it was scarcely less durable than stone. Whoa. Right. That's, that's amazing. Okay, so then she has this great little paragraph, which I'm not going to, I'm just kind of skipping along here, Jen. You can just hop in at any point. She has this paragraph where she talks about Noah's faith, and she quotes there from Hebrews chapter 11. She's already quoted from Hebrews chapter 11 quite a little bit in Is by the book. Noah? Yep, by yeah. faith, Noah. She quotes Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. I'll just read that. This is one example of the New Testament treating Shopping. the Old Testament yeah. like it's actual history, yeah. and that Noah was an actual figure, and that the world actually was deluged in a flood. Let me read that. Unapologetically. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. And she makes the point in that paragraph again and again that his work of 
building the ark, constructing the ark, and preaching uh, testified to his faith. Yeah. That people knew that Noah believed what he was saying because yeah. his actions bore it out. Yeah. They manifested his belief. It's interesting to me that the ark condemned the world and made him the heir of righteousness by faith. Yeah. What's the connection there? Well, just that the whole of Hebrews chapter 11 is showing how all these people, the hall of faith, yeah. all these people acted in ways where their behavior clearly manifested. You could detect yeah. their belief in Yahweh, their confidence in Yahweh, their loyalty to Yahweh. And it took no small of small amount of social courage mm. for Noah to do what he did. I mean, over and over again, it uses the word delusion or deluded old man or something to Fanatical. refer to what yeah. the people thought of Noah. Yeah. Can you imagine a hundred, we get traumatized by getting trolled on social media. Can you imagine 120 years, mm. losing all your friends, people calling you a wild-eyed fanatic? Yeah. And she uses the word fanatic at least twice. I think maybe three referring times. Referring to what they the, thought The way that he was yeah. regarded. Yeah. Noah was, I'm reading in here, Noah was regarded as a fanatic. A little bit later in that uh, paragraph, Noah is a wild fanatic, right? And then she gets right back into the language of Romans 1. Romans 1 is really on Ellen it's White's there, mind, yeah. Romans 1, 18 to 31, yeah. as she's writing the opening mm -hmm. bit here. Mm -hmm. um, she continues to talk more about idolatry. Another point that she makes again and again is this idea of, and I wrote all the words down here, jest, ridicule, mockery, scoffing, mm -hmm. contempt, right? That there was, it was not, there was not a passive indifference or ambivalence about Noah. They were aggressive. They hated him and they yeah. mocked him and they scoffed at him because his actions were so radically out of harmony with the world that he was in. Yeah. So. Yeah, crazy. Um, okay, I'm going to just keep moving along because we've got a lot to cover here. So Noah, he's in, he's told by God to build this ark. People think it's absolutely crazy. And then I really like this section. She says that the great men, the renowned men, I suppose today we would say, and I don't want to get in trouble for saying this, I'm going to say it anyway, the experts of the day. Well, I have over here, follow the science. <laughs> Because it says they have the reasoning that if the message of Noah right. were correct, nature would be turned out of her course. They made that message in the minds of the world a delusion, a grand deception. Right. So they were like, follow the science, guys. Right. This can't crazy. happen. She talks about how the laws, it was believed that the laws of nature were fixed, that yeah. this was impossible. And of course, we hear a lot of that same kind of language today with yeah. regards to the return of Jesus, the... Uh, miracles of the New Testament, yeah. even the creation account. It's like, that's that's out of harmony with science. And we actually live in a day and age, and I, I do not in any way at all want to be perceived yeah. as being dismissive. Against science, you're or, not. And, and of just experts generally. That's right. But yeah. at the end of the day, we're going to have to decide who we put our Trust. most foundational, right. epistemological confidence in. Is it experts? Is it science? Is it Dr. So-and-so? Well, and here's the thing. Is or, hold on just a second. Sorry. Or is it the text? I mean, at the end of the day, we have to decide, are we, are we going to go with the experts or are we going to go with the text? Are we going to go with the text or are we going to go with the experts? Science, today's wisdom is yesterday's foolishness when it comes to science. Science is an ever-growing, ever-evolving discipline. And so when they say trust the science, what they're really saying is trust the common conception of what the science teaches at this juncture of history. Correct. In Very other words, much so. Trust what we all think now. Uh, trust groupthink. Right. Is what they're saying. Right. So this sort of modern day expertism, it has been called, is something that we need to be not. We, we just need yeah, to have a healthy suspicion of, of it. That's right. 
A healthy suspicion. Yeah. Not and there are some people that yeah. say all of it is hogwash. That's not true. That's not true. That's absolutely well, not true. Well, science is the study of reality, like Correct. we were talking about before. And yeah. so sooner or later, if you really follow the scientific method, you're going to go from hypothesis. You're going to um, have a question. You're going to study the question. And you're going to gather data from that and then interpret the data. And if you really follow that methodically and with integrity, at times you're going to stumble on some some truth, right? Of course. Because it's a great method. No, I mean, the scientific enterprise is a gift from God. And most of the great originators of the modern scientific enterprises we know and understand it today were believers in the Bible and in the creator God. And they didn't see a, a discrepancy no, between biblical not. truth and, and scientific truth. We'll have a and lot of time isn't. to talk about the interrelationship between faith and science and yeah. the biblical record and science when we yeah. get Dr. Pittman on here. Yeah. So anyway, but the point here, these experts said this cannot happen, this happen. It will not happen. And yet it happened. Yeah. And I would call that a form of collective narcissism. I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Okay. And just collective that. narcissism. Well, yeah, because I was thinking these people are, as they're descending morally, and as they are, um, you know, they have a really inflated view, not just of themselves as individuals, but of themselves as a people group. Mm. So they're in this in this posture toward God and his truth and his servant Noah of defiance. And the more they sort of denigrate those things, the more they lift themselves up. And I think they develop a kind of collective narcissism. So I want to talk about that. Um, the definition of collective narcissism is an inflated, unrealistic view of the in-group's greatness contingent on external recognition. So what that means is, it hmm. comes from a, a study of in-group psychology. So that it's called in-group favoritism and out-group derogation. So in-group favoritism is thinking that your people, your crowd, are the good ones, and anybody outside of that are the bad it's classic ones. Classic so, us and them thinking. That's right. So Henry uh, Todd Fell coined the term in the mid 1900s, and then this lady Jane Elliott probably would have gotten put in jail for this if it happened today. But she ran a kind of empirical experiment with her. She was a school teacher, and he, she ran uh, an empirical experiment with her students the day after Ma Martin Luther King was assassinated. So what she did was. She brought the kids together and she said, okay, the blue-eyed children are superior to the brown-eyed children. So she created an in-group, out-group dynamic. And she gave special favors. The blue-eyed kids got more recess. They got this seconds This would definitely not go today. And with it, no, you wouldn't be able to get away with it. But she, she and that's why I kind of like the old studies better sometimes because they right. get to the point. Um, but anyway, so the kids ended up, you know, being really harmful to the brown eyed, the blue eyed kids were harmful. It was, it just this was like the Stanford prison experiment. It was really. almost like that. And then she flipped it and she said, oh, I'm sorry. I, I told you wrong. Oh, I made a mistake. It's the brown eyed people brown -eyed are superior. And the same outcome. Yeah. So I wanted to just read a passage from a book called The Narcissism Epidemic. This is really in interesting. Um, understanding the narcissism epidemic is important because its long-term consequences are destructive to society. American culture's focus on self-admiration has caused a flight from reality Come on. to the land of grandiose fantasy. Hmm. We have phony rich people with interest-only mortgages and piles of debt, phony beauty with plastic surgery and cosmetic procedures, phony athletes with performance-enhancing drugs. Hmm. She's going after everybody. Phony, phony celebrities. This is this isn't Ellen White. It's it's a book. No, I'm, oh, okay. I'm <laughs> Phony celebrities. You via, don't say. No. 
via reality TV and YouTube, phony genius students with great inflation, a phony national economy with an $11 trillion government debt, phony feelings of being special among children with parenting and education focused on self-esteem, and phony friends with social networking explosion. All this fantasy might feel good, but unfortunately, reality always wins. So when you have when you're in this collective good narcissism state, is this a female author? And I don't know, okay. I don't remember who it is, but anyway, um, the book is the narcissism epidemic. Epidemic, yeah. And so what was happening there is there's an in-group, out-group dy dynamic between the people of the day and Noah and his crowd and God, really. And they're continually reinforcing their superiority based on the fact that they exclude him from their group. Interesting. And they continue to derogate him and then lift themselves up. And that's what it sort of inflates and brings this collective narcissism to a higher level. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're seeing a lot of a that. lot of that today. I do too. I've never heard that term before, collective well, narcissism. Well, I just thought about but it. But it makes I, a lot of sense. I hadn't heard it either, but I thought, you know, there's kind of this group narcissism going on which the people are becoming more and more defiant and more and more how did, really what, how, did, how did you know about and it? And they're accusing of Noah of being deluded and fanatical and deceived. But actually, they're the ones that are being self-deceived. I just thought of narcissism, and then I know that a lot of things, a lot of psychological conditions are, have kind of a contagious quality. Yeah, that's like true. There's collective like trauma that we saw yeah. even in COVID. And, you know, just things tend to be contagious uh, from one person to another. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to keep moving along here. <clears throat> it says, um, I don't want to get to my punchline, so I'm right at the point where my punchline takes place. So then it starts to rain. Okay, let's just sort of finish up the story, and then we can go back oh, and draw out. Oh, tell the story, David. This is such a great story. Well, it's a really sad story, it but it, it begins sad. to rain, um, and, and I've skipped a little bit there. The animals make their way into the ark. She says that this was widely perceived as you know, strange, unusual, almost miraculous. Yeah. And this was an opportunity. While the doors were open for people to come in because the animals are coming in, many still say, well, no, that's just a, well, that's a serendipitous occurrence. Well, look at that. That's a coincidence. All these animals are just making their way in. Yeah. Then the door shuts. She says that it sits but, there for seven days. The mockery increases. But even after that, um, she says that I, I have hurricane yeah. party written in my margin here because yeah. that's what people do in Florida is a hurricane's coming and they have a party in total depression. Gotcha. And they've seen the animals walking into these ferocious She calls it, she walk. says, they gathered in crowds around the ark, deriding its inmates with a daring violence, which they had never ventured upon before. And here's the narcissism again. Philosophers were called upon to account for the singular occurrence, but in vain. It was a mystery which they could not fathom. But men had become so hardened by their persistent Correct. rejection of light that even this scene produced just a momentary impression. Imagine that. Can you imagine? I They've never seen rain before. They've certainly never seen animals. This is right on the walking periphery. In an order, orderly fashion I, into an ark. I'm purposely biting my tongue on this part because this is right on the periphery of the punchline for me, which I want to get to a little bit in just a little bit. So then it begins to rain. Can I get there? Yeah. Begins to rain. And uh, she taught, it's really actually incredibly sad. No. It, it, of the rain? Yeah. Well, okay. This is on page 116, uh, 100, 101. Paragraph begins, some in their desperation. Can I start there? So yeah. this is when it's rained. Yeah. And then the people are trying to get to oh, high yeah. ground. They're trying to survive. And this is just, this is almost unreadable. It's almost. It's so sad. It's incredible. So she says, some of their desperation endeavored to break into the ark, but the firm made 
structure withstood their efforts. Some clung to the ark until they were borne away by the surging waters mm. or their hold was broken by collision with rocks and trees. The massive ark trembled in every fiber as it was beaten by the merciless winds and flung from billow to billow. The cries of the beast within expressed their fear and pain, but amid the warring elements, it continued to it continued to rise safely. Angels that excel in strength were commissioned to preserve it. Mm. The beast, exposed to the tempest, rushed toward man as though expecting help from him. <laughs> Some of the people bound their children and themselves upon powerful animals, oh. knowing that these were tenacious of life and would climb to the highest points to escape the rising waters. Mm. Some fastened themselves to lofty trees on the summits of hills or mountains, but the trees were uprooted and with their burden of living beings were hurled into the seething billows. Mm. One spot after another that promised safety was abandoned and the waters rose higher and higher. Mm. The people fled for refuge to the loftiest mountains. Often man and beast would struggle together for a foothold until both were swept away. Incredible. Mm. So the, the, the picture that she's painting here, and, and I appreciate the fact, it's very courageous actually, for her to actually paint the picture that in, in my belief, she saw this in vision. God showed mm -hmm. her this yeah. in sort of cinematic vision. And then she went back and tried to write down mm -hmm. what it is that she saw. I mean, she has, I don't just think this is Ellen White's imagination on display here. Mm -mm. It certainly is very powerful and moving writing, but I think she saw this. Mm -hmm. I think God showed her this and she's now letting us know. Either way, you don't have to believe that, by the way. You can just think, well, this was how she imagined it to be mm -hmm. uh, because it's not a requirement for you to affirm uh, the prophetic gift or ministry of Ellen White in order to benefit from this book, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, the waters rose, people tried to survive, and uh, they ultimately all perished. So you can just imagine mm -hmm. that's going to be an ugly scene, a mm -hmm. terrible, mm -hmm. difficult, ugly mm -hmm. scene. Mm -hmm. Now, the next chapter, I should say, is titled After the Flood. So we actually mm -hmm. have, and then the chapter after that is titled The Literal Week. So we really have kind of three chapters on the flood and then we also have our session, our supplemental session with Dr. Sean. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to cover every detail mm -hmm. in this chapter. Yeah, let's just get to the spiritual stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm, I'm kind of page. at the... What page are you on? I'm all over the place. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably on page 100. Okay. 100 for you. I just okay. finished reading some in their desperation. Oh, from Speaks. Okay, I got it. So I'm kind of at the place now where... Hey, can, I bring, can I ask you a question? You say anything you want to say right, because... Right. Then, I want so to get to my punchline. Go a few. I know you're just. I want dying. to give you you're my my sentence. I know you're just dying to get there. But back up a little from what no, you I'm just being read. extremely patient. You're being very patient. <laughs> very patient. Okay, back okay. up a few paragraphs from where you were just now. Okay. And it says um, here they're in the middle of all this maelstrom of all this stuff going on. Um, they're entreating. Okay, others were frantic with fear, stretching their hands. This is when it begins to rain, right? And okay. pleading yep. for admittance, but their entreaties were in vain. Conscience was at last aroused to know that there is Correct. a God who rules in the heavens. So the question I want to ask you is, is that really conscience? Doesn't conscience tell us? I think she is, I think she means it in the sense of the word awareness. Yeah. The, the gravity of the situation is now forced upon them, and they're like, oh. So I was thinking about Peter and Judas. Okay, mm -hmm. so both of them were very sorry for what they did. Yeah. Very, very, just, you know, grief stricken for what they did. There are a lot of parallels between Judas and Peter. There were, but, and, and really, I think what Peter did was as bad as what Judas did, because I don't think Judas really believed Jesus was going to go through and be crucified. Yeah. He thought he would. He thought he was sort of helping he him he was along. the king of Israel. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. he's going to throw off Rome. Right. You know, so, so he was shocked. And that's he thought Jesus was too modest, too demure. Yes. And so he was going to sort of. He just needed to slap some sense yeah, into exactly. him. exactly. 
create and, a situation for yeah. him to manifest That's his Messiah. Right. Show us your yeah. manhood. Yeah. His glory. Exactly. So I think what they did was quite equivalent, but it's the response to what they did that was so different. Okay. Peter stumbled out into the night and ended up in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus had prayed, threw himself mm. down and wished he could die. Wished he could die. But Judas went ultimately went out and hung himself. Hung himself. So both were die. very sorry, but the way that they were sorry was yeah. so different. Peter no, was true. sorry for the pain, and the second shortest I think verse uh, verse in the Bible was Jesus looked at Peter. It was mm. right after he gave his third um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Denial. denial. That's right. Jesus looked at Peter. And what's the just what's the point there and about that, the conscience being aroused? Yeah, exactly. So gotcha. there's just a different kind of conscience that's active. So Peter is like. His conscience is aroused. He experiences repentance and remorse for what he's done, but he's thinking about who he hurt. It's it's an empathy yeah. bridge to the person that he hurt. But Judas, on the other hand, is totally focused on himself and the harm to himself, and that's what's happening here. So they have an arousal of conscience, but it's not out of any kind of true repentance. Yeah, is my point. It's a it's 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 an arousal. That's a great way to say it. It's an yeah. arousal of conscience that doesn't lead to repentance that's or right. wouldn't have led. In fact, yeah. listen to this one. So I'm on page 115, so this will be 99 of, of your uh, pagination. And this is a long paragraph that begins, as the violence of the storm increased, yeah. she says that Satan himself feared for his own life yeah. because rocks are getting hurled in the air. Mm -hmm. This wasn't like, and we'll talk about this when, when we talk to Sean, the flood was not what we might call the bathtub model, where you just turn the water on and it just slowly, gradually... It's just coming just, from all just coming. It's it's It's... It's coming from up, it's coming from down, down. and she says boulders she are being about, thrown in the air. She calls them cataracts yeah, coming exactly. down, so that's like rivers. Or so it's total yeah. chaos. The yeah. earth is just in upheaval, right? Mm -hmm. It's just, okay, so Satan is fearing for his life. Now check this out. This goes right along with what you were just saying. Just a little bit further down in that paragraph, uh, she's, there's a sentence that begins, he had delighted to control so powerful a race, speaking of Satan, and desired, the word control, there's a fascinating word, by the way, he had delighted to control so powerful a race and desired them to live to live to practice their abominations and continue their rebellion against the ruler of heaven. Now look at this. He now uttered imprecations, which is like cursings, yeah. against God, charging him with injustice and cruelty. Many oh. of the people like Satan blasphemed God. Now watch this. And had they been able, they would have torn God from the throne of power. Whoa. That tells you there's no repentance. Not repentance. There's no transformation of perspective. And then right after that, she says conscience was aroused. Correct. So it wasn't that kind of conscience. No, yeah. it could not have been. Yeah. How defiant. That's incredible. So then at the sort of at the close of the chapter, she makes the point about how the the sins that existed, the idolatry that existed, the immorality that existed in the days of Noah are not unlike some of the idolatry, immorality, and sins that exist today. Right. She draws that that point there. Yeah. Now, the, the question here, and we've we've already gone for like an hour, and we've not really addressed ourselves to the question, and the question- We've gone for an hour? Yeah, and it just flies by. The question here that's on display that we just have to address ourselves to is how could God do this? Kill all these people. Right, like how, how, is, this, how is this in keeping with the character, the of character of God that we've been exposed to up to this point. And I imagine I've actually had um, people that I've visited with, believers and non-believers, uh, say, hey, wait a minute, what about the flood? That's fundamentally unjust, fundamentally unfair, because how could God destroy? But there was, I mean, if someone is okay. destroying people and you destroy the person that's destroying people, you're actually saving the people that they're destroying. 
And it says in the chapter... We said that earlier, that the kindness yes. to one is cruelty to another. Right. And it says in this chapter, doesn't it mention human sacrifice? It does. Yeah. It does. She talks about... Because the pinnacle of idolatry, because the capricious deities yeah. of, of you know, the idolatrous world, yeah. you have to give them greater and greater and more and more sacrifices. Right. And eventually, you're going to move away from, you know, agri you know crops and <laughs> animals, animals and you say well we'll just people. sacrifice my son they're just so hard to please son. you know right. i'm gonna top the last guy you know so so human sacrifice is something that features prominently in the bible as mm -hmm. something that god absolutely abhors and hates and is you for know, good reason he says in jeremiah chapter 19 verse 5 he says this thing never came into my mind it's so repulsive to me so it's disgusting awful. to me the idea of it never came into my mind mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's where they were at. Okay, can I read you my sentence now? All this right. is this is my sentence. All right. So this is on page one sixteen. It's one hundred or like one hundred one of the original pagination. The paragraph begins. Oh, I know what you're going to read from the highest peaks. So I'm just going to go down sort of to the middle there. How those doomed sinners long for the opportunities which they had slighted. How they pleaded for one hour's probation, one more privilege of mercy. mercy. One, One call from, from the lips of Noah, Noah but the, the sweet, sweet voice, voice of, of mercy was, was no more to be heard by them. them. Now read the next sentence. Love. This is the sentence for me that's the Rosetta this Stone is, for the is, whole chapter. It is. You're right. You're right. And I put J in the margins all over this chapter for justice. Justice. Yeah. Justice. And justice, I put a justice. J here and I underline this in red. Love. Yeah, nothing else is underlined in red. See, I this know. jumped out at How you too. How special is that? Love, no less than justice demanded that God's judgments should put a check on sin. And that's exactly what that's they're the doing. That's the sentence. Is they're putting a check on sin. Correct. And, and notice that that for, for Ellen White here, there is no tension, and I cannot emphasize this strongly enough. Between there is no tension love. between love and justice. Mm -hmm. We've already said, but I'll just quickly repeat it. You never want to say, God is love, but he's also anything. God's love is not intention. God is not schizophrenic. God is not... Does Don't not have multiple personality disorder. Yeah. Uh, listen to it again. Yeah. Love, no, no less than, than justice, justice, demanded God's judgments should put a check on sin. So can I make this practical? Please. Okay, so I'm in abuse response work, and okay. we listen, unfortunately, um, in our church, in all churches, some of the spiritual leadership, i.e. clergy, use their power advantage to perpetrate sin on their congregants in the form of sexual abuse. It happens. That's a thing that happens. And and I'm in the work of meeting those emergencies and taking uh, taking reports from people that claim that they've been abused by people in spiritual leadership. Mm. And of course, there are some false reports. We have a false accusation right in the middle of the Old Testament of Potiphar's wife. It happens, but the vast majority of them, I believe, are true. So this is a tragic situation mm. that happens in churches and we've got to do something about it, people. So Amen. look up Project Safe Church and Amen. check out projectsafechurch.org and look at what we're trying to do. Well, um, not what you're trying to do, Jen, what you're what doing. What we're doing, what we're doing, exactly. The Lord Jesus is blessing your work mightily. When I work with people that have been horribly abused, I encourage them to try to understand God's justice. And I remember talking to a particular client of mine in a counseling relationship, and she was describing how her father sexually abused her and, her, and she was still like attending the same church with her dad, you know, that had done this and their relationship was difficult and all this. And I said, has he ever really obviously clearly repented? And she was like, well, mm. I'm just not sure. Have you ever had a conversation where he really took ownership of what he, well, 
kind of maybe. The answer is no. And so the answer was really no. And I said to her, do you understand that if he doesn't repent, he's going to end up in the lake of fire? You know, I don't talk that way to most people because, you know, fire and brimstone and, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. been abused. But I feel I need to with these victims of heinous crimes, because often what happens is the environment they're, that they're in, the the kind of the general attitude, we call it institutional betrayal, when the family or church glosses over this kind of evil that mm -hmm. happens within that system. And often the victim themselves will take on that attitude. Well, I guess it really wasn't that bad. But then they deal with the, the rolling out of that throughout their lives, the trauma mm -hmm. of that in their own psyche. Wow. And so they're struggling with this. But what they've never reached is that place of anger where they recognize that what they did, what happened to them was really, truly heinous. And wrong. they have to get to that anger evil. place before they can truly meaningfully forgive. And so I go ahead and I say, do you realize that there's going to be justice on him if he doesn't repent? And so that, I, you yeah. just said something that's yeah. so incredible to me, Jen, and I'd never thought of that before. That if people don't get to the place where they can be angry yeah. about an injustice that was done to them, it means they don't fully themselves and grasp this is, this is the why, gravity and, of the thing. And people that are in the counseling field know, know what I mean by this. Is, is often what we do is we use I sentences. When a client is telling us something and they clearly do not have the emotions to match what they're saying, like they'll very apathetically say, yeah, he raped me and whatever, you know. And they just seem flat. Because they've disengaged. Exactly, because they're dissociating is what it is. Mm -hmm. is they, they've numbed themselves out so that they don't have to experience the overwhelm of trauma from facing the reality of what happened. Mercy. And what I'll do is I'll I'll feel it for them because oftentimes I'm like in You have tears. to do that. And I'll say to them, I am so angry when you tell me this. I'm outraged at what is happening to you. And they'll see in me the appropriate response and really a reflection of God's character. Does that, does that sometimes trigger angry. for them? And, and they go, wait a minute. If we never preach justice, what we end up is is a picture of God that, that doesn't become angry when horrible things like this happen. And people yeah. need to know that. Yeah, we. you'll sometimes hear people say, you know, well, we don't want an angry God. And, you know, God's not I angry. Do. Are you kidding? <laughs> Want we want a God. God who is deeply angry That's at not sin, all we want. At, at injustice, and yeah. at oppression. Now, And um, it doesn't rule out that he's love and merciful, and all those things can exist in the same. Because okay, uh, we're that way. We're complex. We've already quoted. Emotionally, we can feel many things at the same time. How much more our creator who created us in his image. Correct. We can have all of these emotions at once. And really struggle with, you know, emotional bipolarity and tripolarity and, oh, I'm so angry at what that person did, but I love them and, mm -hmm. but I might have to destroy them and I'm going to grieve. We can experience that because we're made in his image. The tension. Yeah. So, so we've mentioned several times that Romans chapter one is really <clears throat> in Ellen White's mind here. She, uh, she adopts some of the language from Romans chapter one, 18 to 31. Mm -hmm. Let me just read you verse 18. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of mankind, of men. Okay, this is very it's important. Listen to the distinction. angry at the ungodliness and the unrighteousness. Yeah, it doesn't say the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against men. Yeah. It says the wrath of God is do. revealed from heaven against the ungodliness and the unrighteousness. But what we see happening in the flood and what we will see at the end of time, and Ellen White makes this point, is that people so incorrigibly and so irredeemably identify with sin 
that they refuse. Become, yeah. They refuse to separate themselves from the sin, and because sin is going to be extirpated, sin is going to be annihilated, if people so totally identify with their sin and refuse to let it go, if they become rejectors of God's overtures of mercy, God has no choice, that's key, but to give them over to the consequences of the terrible, sinful, oppressive, unjust decisions that they have made. And I think you're right about the- I'm fired up. I know, and you're right about the identification factor. I think that's the mechanism that determines the difference in response that we see in, for instance, Jesus is coming and some people are like welcoming him. This is our God. And others are calling for the rocks to fall on them. Correct. The same stimulus, but two completely different responses. And I, I have to, I have to at least entertain the possibility that that's what ultimately affects people in such a way that that it puts them out of existence in, on some level. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when you fully, I'm so on that page. When you fully identify with a sin, if God comes down on that sin in wrath against that sin, you're going to think he's coming in wrath against you, even if it's not personal with him. Right. A, a great way to think about this is, is God is, a, our God is a consuming fire. That's Hebrews right. chapter 12, verse 29. And, and God is going to return to earth. The, the Bible describes in, in the Psalms, for example, that when he comes, the whole earth melts like wax before him. Mm-hmm. And what God is asking us to do is to give our combustible material over to, to him. him in Christ. That's right. But if we say, no, 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 I'm going I to keep it. my yeah. combustible material. So I treat this glass like it's something I'm going to hold on. Well, this thing is going to be destroyed. Sin, sin will be extirpa- extirpated from the, from the universe. It will be annihilated. And if I identify with it, if I cling to it, if I refuse to give it up, That's right. when the sin is destroyed, I am too because of my right. hyper-identification with this sin. That's right. Amen. That's so well said. Perfect. Okay, so... Um, love no less than justice. Love no less than justice. Let's go through our rubric. Okay. And I've got a couple other little points that I'm going to tease out in the rubric. And... Um, but this is this has been great, and Jen, and so I'm so happy you were here for this session. You were perfect for Cain and Abel, and you've been perfect for the flood because, as somebody who deals extensively with injustice, with the with, justice issue, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It just it's worked out perfectly. Okay, so Jen, for you, what was the the point of this chapter? I put when pride, pleasure, and perversity reach their height. I was going to try to find a word for rebellion that started with a P, but I couldn't find one. So okay, anyway, gotcha. pride, pleasure, and perversity reach their height. Reach their pinnacle. Okay. Their pinnacle. Like oh, it? perfect. Yeah. <laughs> God intervenes with judgment, but only after 120 years of preaching love. Gotcha. Yeah. Pride, pleasure, and perversity reach their pinnacle. I wrote, the point of this chapter is to tell the tragic story of humanity's, quote, sinking lower and lower into the depths of sin, selfishness, sensuality, and violence and to paint a picture of incorrigible wickedness and to make comparison between today's world and its similarly startling condition. Wow. Incorrigible wickedness. Mm. I mean, clearly this is what she's driving at here, and we'll talk about the nature of that incorrigibility in just a second Mm -hmm. when I get to my word. Uh, Jen, what do we learn about God as the person? Like, what's the revelation of who is God? Is he a mean, old, cantankerous, get-off-my-lawn God? You know, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus did not enjoy mm. social shame. He didn't enjoy the experience of being uh, persecuted. But Jesus in Noah yeah, yeah, was yeah, willing yeah. to be seen as a deluded fanatic. It says deluded wow. fanatic over and over again in terms of what how people regarded Noah. 
He was willing to be seen as that deluded. And don't think that he was like for 120 years, just like humming and like, I'm so cool and I'm good with God. And these people are all great. There would have been it, times of doubt, seasons social, of. There was a lot of social yeah, absolutely. injury that went on there. So he was willing to be seen as a deluded fanatic for the sake of saving people. And that's a character of Jesus. That's right. And he would have been more than human if there hadn't been seasons in his life where he would have questioned himself. I do that as a preacher yeah. of righteousness that yeah. deeply loves the gospel and spends my whole life telling others about the gospel. Yeah. There are times, and I think Paul himself wrestled with this. N.T. Wright brings this out in his incredible biography on Paul, mm -hmm. that, that we read in between the lines in many of Paul's epistles that he sometimes wondered, is this all in vain? Is this all for naught? Am I going? Am I crazy? Am I crazy? Have you ever asked yourself if you're crazy? Um, what yeah. if it just turned out to be a lie? <laughs> Have you ever thought that? Um, I saw. Since a you've been a believer, I saw a bumper sticker to that effect one time, but I'm trying to remember what it said. I mean, it's easy to say, well, maybe it will turn out to be a lie, like C.S. Lewis says. But I'm still better off living this way, so I'll just oh, do well, it. That's... But. That's but a no-brainer. Yeah, but still, I mean, have you ever struggled with that? Have you ever thought, no. am I crazy? Jesus has revealed himself to me He's by so his positive. Spirit. He's not melancholic. There is, I, am, I am as certain that <laughs> God is good and he is real yeah. as that you are sitting next to me right now. I like that about you. It's, it's just absolutely you true. God has revealed himself to me in so many ways, so many times. It's true. I, how, could I, how could I doubt him? I can't. I know. I can see it. Okay, can I tell you yeah. my person? But my my uh, yeah. the, my person, I put that God is merciful, abundantly, infinitely merciful. God's love and justice are not intention; they are both rooted essentially mm -hmm. in His very nature. Beautiful. God is love. Mm -hmm. um, the prayer. How do we pray this chapter, Jen? I'm just gonna work off of the person. God help me be willing to bear reproach for the sake of truth. You Ooh. know because. Yeah, because I struggle. I like the way that, you really honestly, centered on Noah. You centered on Noah. I centered experience. more on the sort of larger theology. Yeah, I yeah. like what you're doing. Yeah. There. That's great. You know, because I honestly, I just, it's just being real. I I struggle because I know there are certain things that I believe that in certain contexts would would bring the wrath down upon me of cancel culture or whatever. And and it, it's even in your me. profession. And I talked exactly. My profession is is very different than I am ideologically and religiously. And uh, I, I worry about so losing So you've got to be license. wise as a serpent and, and harmless way, as a dove. That's part of the reason I got the doctoral degree, because I figure if they yank my license someday, if they find out, you know, that I did something that is against their views, that their codes, they yank because my your, license, your Christianity is yeah, yeah, out of harmony with odds. their sort of secular view. They can't take away my doctoral degree. So I've, I've fought that. It's like an insurance policy. It almost. is a little bit. But, you know, it, it, when I talk to David about some of the stuff that unnerves me, he's like, oh, consider it a badge of honor. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You'll say, oh, this thing happened. And I'll say, if that person thinks you're crazy, consider it a badge it's of a honor. It's a compliment. Wear it as a badge of I honor. I wish I could be that confident. He just, he's just very optimistic. I'm not confident in myself. I'm just confident in God's word. I'm yes, confident in Jesus. I know. If somebody's going to think I'm a crazy person because I say what the text of Scripture says, I welcome that reproach. But don't you like... Don't you wonder if you did it right or if maybe you... Oh, of course. I mean, we can always work on our methodology, okay. but as okay. far as the content of what yeah. we believe, yeah. you know, it's like, I, I always go back to Peter. Lord, to whom will you also go? Lord, to go? whom shall we exactly. go? You have the words of eternal life. That's we have right. come to believe and to yeah. know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I'm not going anywhere, sister. I'm going to start preaching. Okay, here's my prayer. Father, help me, please, to learn the lesson of the flood you don't reject the incorrigibly sinful, they reject you and thus become that way. Yeah. That's key. 
Because yeah. every one of those incorrigibly wicked, wicked people, there was room enough for them on the ark. Yeah. There was room enough for, oh, that person, that person, that person, that person. There's room enough for you on the ark. There's no stringiness so who's on rejecting who? Yeah. She uses the word reject. Mm. She uses the oh. word reject or rejecter or rejected six times in this chapter. And she uses the word resist another time, which is a synonym for reject. Who's over rejecting and who? Over in, in, in reference to the people themselves. Yeah, they're rejecting God. I'll just read you a, a, a four instance here. Yeah. Just a couple four instances. So she says, um, um, they reject him. Uh, that's right at the very end. Um, this one here. It says, uh, Noah was shut in and the rejectors of God's mercy were shut out. A little bit later, she says, Satan will have full control of those who have rejected the mercy of God. Mm. I'll give you one more here. Mm. Um Men had become so hardened by their persistent rejection of light. Mm. So I want to ask this question. This is, what is the primary thing that's happening in the flood? Is God rejecting the wicked world or is the wicked world rejecting God? The latter. The latter, clearly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Clearly. So that's the lesson of the flood. Mm -hmm. The lesson of the flood is, that, is not that God gets so fed up with people. He says, that's it. I'm tired. I'm done. I'm just going to wreak havoc. Yeah. What happens is people get so filled up with sin that they themselves are going to do such damage to themselves and to others mm. that God gives them over to the consequences of the terrible decisions they've made and the identification with sin that they refuse to repent of. Yeah. And you're not saying that God isn't part of that process. That, that well, clearly he is a part of it. He's angry I mean, at sin and he expresses that anger in some form and they course. take it personally because they're identified with it, but it's not that he's just back there with his arms folded. Well, no, the rain was, now the rain was some, literally some people say Satan oh, caused say the something. flood. But that's ridiculous because he feared for his life. Oh, that Satan caused the flood? Yeah, that's yeah, absurd. Yeah. But I will tell you this, yeah. just very quickly. I mentioned at the outset of this that the the flood narrative, you're gonna love this if you didn't already know this. The flood narrative is the is the recapitulation of creation. It's creation oh, 2.0. Yeah, 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 but now listen to this. Okay. So one of the very first things that God does in the creation account is it says that he separated the waters above the firmament from the waters below. Mm -hmm. So he basically creates what we would call a space mm -hmm. in the water. So there's this watery mass, and God, as it were, inserts his hands and creates a space, okay? Mm -hmm. The waters above and the waters below. The mm -hmm. waters below become earth, mm -hmm. okay? The waters above are become this like firmament. envelope... Well, no, the firmament is the space. Oh, okay. So the waters above the firmament are this like envelope, this watery envelope. And Dr. Pittman will and talk about this. isn't that how it watered the earth? No, the water just came up from the, the dew, but right? It, like in a greenhouse. Right, right. So what happened in oh. the flood is it says the windows of heaven were opened. This is so cool. Oh. So check this out. In creation, here's what God did, just to use an analogy or to use a, a picture so you can see it. In creation, God, as it were, slides his hands into the watery mass and opens up the space. And okay. then he puts human beings in the space and he makes okay. the earth. That, okay, now what happens in the flood? It says the fountains of the deep burst forth. God removes this hand and the windows of the heaven were open. God removes this hand. What and happens? The water. the water collapses in. Incredible. That is incredible. And so that is divine. That's not something What's Satan that, what, what can, My point is that's not something Satan can do. No. That's a thing God did. What, what function did the water serve? Above? above water. Okay, okay. Sean will talk oh, about okay. that, yeah, but basically it massively reduced the Ultra radioactive. Light. Exactly, yeah. mm -hmm. exactly. This is why people, system. one of the reasons why, we get why sunburned. people were living like almost a millennium yeah. before the flood and then after the flood, you have this precipitous decline in the numbers of years. you think that's years. part of the reason? It, it, I, think of I think it's rays? the reason. Well, I think it's multifactorial, but yeah. okay, so just very yeah, quickly. that's interesting. Very quickly. Mm -hmm. We don't really know why people age. 
We, we didn't know until recently. Like cells have, if you cut yourself or you scratch yourself, your body heals itself. Over time, your body loses its ability to regenerate, mm -hmm. to restore itself. The reason for that is oxidation. Well, it's, it's multifactorial, but one of the major reasons is oxidation. This is why they tell you to take what? Antioxidants, yeah. right? So what happens is free radicals get into your cells and into your body and into your system, and they yeah. just start wreaking havoc structurally. Yeah. And over time, cumulatively, you know, around 60, 70, 80 years, that begins to wear on you, and then it just gets harder to sustain. So if you didn't have all of those free radicals coming in, and I'm not a scientist, but I've read about this, and we'll ask Sean Pittman when he comes on. And so the sun causes some of the free radicals. Of course, yeah. yeah. But if you had this giant envelope of water, I mean, I don't know how thick from, it was. Yeah. Let's say that envelope of water was 20, yeah. 30, 40, 50 yeah. meters thick. Yeah. The sun is shining through that. Now you get a greenhouse effect. It's, it's a greenhouse effect. That's exactly. right. Exactly. Yeah. But what happened is God removes his hand. Yeah. The water's and now collapsed. the sun is right on people. You've got it. Okay. Fascinating. Now we have wrinkles. Eh? It's all, it's now all, we all have wrinkles. It's all Noah's fault. I mean, it's all the antediluvian's fault. Well, it's Adam's fault, but it's yeah, our fault true. too. It's that's our true. fault too. Okay. Okay. Uh, how do we practice this chapter? All right. I put preach and go ahead and do it for the long haul. Amen. If you're working in partnership with God, you take the long haul, the 120 year haul, instead of attempting the quick fix. I see Ooh. a lot of patience in this chapter. 120 years. Yeah. You know, patience. try to win people over. Um, because the quick fix doesn't work. So you do it the way that God does things. Yeah, 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 yeah. slow, steady, you know, way of work, bringing people along, yes. bringing people along with you and, and reaching hearts that takes longer than the quick fix. We already mentioned that in the chapter, I think we had two, uh, two days ago, yeah. that God is moving the entire universe along yeah. with the process. And he brings with him their approval and their sympathies. That's right. Amazing. That's right. Here's what I wrote for the practice. Don't, a number of don'ts. Don't doubt God's mercy and his justice mm -hmm. and his patience. Don't reject his repeated overtures of mercy. And don't let the world's deep sinfulness rob you of a sense of God's beauty and holiness. That's mm -hmm. one of the things that happened to the antediluvian world mm -hmm. is that the world just got collectively narcissistic, mm -hmm. collectively evil, mm -hmm. and then the Overton window shifts and everybody thinks, well, this isn't really evil because everybody around me is behaving in the same way. What's an Overton window? So the, uh, I shouldn't have probably said that. I'm going to complicate it. But basically the idea that 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 whole ideologies, you know, to the left and the right politically can shift yeah. and you can say, well, I'm standing here and I'm left, but if the Overton window shifts, yes. you could suddenly be right. Middle, so what you don't want to do is find your bearings relative to the yeah. shifting, ebbing tides of it's the like mores of... It's ant antithesis. Yes, synthesis. it's that, but it's also just that our, we should have a mooring to the text, yes. to what God says. And not just calculate the middle road exactly. for whatever the extremes are. When people say, shift. oh, I want to be balanced. I want to be balanced. I don't want to be balanced. I want to be faithful. I want to be biblical. Because what people mean by balanced is they want to say, I'm equidistant the from the left road? and I'm equidistant from the right. And, and then now I'm balanced. Shift all yeah, but if everything there, shifts yeah, left or if yeah. everything shifts right, are you balanced now? No. Don't be balanced. If the tug be of war goes, faithful. If the tug of war goes over the river... You know, you don't want to be on the other wrong side of the river. Now, when I say don't yeah. be balanced, obviously you have to hear yeah. what I'm saying, yeah. what I'm not saying. Yeah. yeah, be balanced about eating. Today I ate a donut. <gasps> I ate a donut today. I don't normally eat donuts. I eat donuts several times a year, but I rock climbed and I was like, I was absolutely I exhausted. And I was like, I drive by this donut shop and every time I drive by it, the donut house, I hear it whispers my name. <laughs> so I pulled in there. And I bought a donut. So obviously. Not a donut. You bought a whole box. I bought six donuts, but I only ate one. 
Um, my point is, there are a great many things in life that you should be balanced about. You know, you yeah. should eat in a balanced way, and you should sleep in a balanced We're way. We're not against should, balance. But I'm saying, when it comes to faithfulness, yeah. don't think it's not I'm going to balance relative to the culture. That's right. I'm going to balance relative to what the world is doing. No, you find yourself bounced we right want, out. We want to be in the sweet spot between the apparently opposing principles of scripture. So the justice Ooh. and mercy of God seem to be at odds with each other. That we is want to find so the well middle said. between those two things, the law and the grace. We want to be in the middle between those two things, but not in the middle of the polarities of the world yeah, because they not. may we be way off. They are way off. And they are way off. Yeah. Um, so that's the practice. Finally, Jen, the promise. What's God's promise to you in this chapter? Well, I like the justice theme. So God will take charge and bring justice to hopeless situations. It's really hard to be in the line of work that I'm in with, you know, counseling and then with the justice work we do with responding to abuse in the church. It's really hard because you see a lot of hopeless situations yeah. where right never comes, you know perpetrators get freed from jail and they start or they're never tried and they're never tried. There's not enough evidence and people are damaged and people commit suicide and horrible things happen and they're never made right in this world. And I'm looking forward to that, uh, that rightness coming to these broken situations. I yeah. really am. I have a, I think, I think a lot of people do. I think most people do, but I've always had a very strong inbuilt sense of justice. Yeah. Just, just, yeah. Ugh. That has to be made right. Actually, yeah. that's one of the things that was pivotal in my in my conversion to Christ was really? that I read the book Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee by D. Yeah. Brown. Yeah. And then, as you know, I spent almost three years taking care of people with developmental disabilities, yeah. autism, Down syndrome, fetal alcohol syndrome at a really pivotal stage in my life, my early 20s. Mm -hmm. And I just felt... It was a group home, right? It was a group home, yeah. yeah. I worked in a residential setting. Yeah. And it was just so... I was like, why do I get to be like this? I'm able-bodied, yeah, yeah, I'm able-minded. And I yeah. and many of the people that I took care of were fetal alcohol syndrome situations. Yes, they didn't fault. have to be like that. Yeah, and it was because and someone was indulging and there's no so victimless crime. angry, right, yeah. exactly. And yeah. and so that, yeah. that sense of justice mm -hmm. there. Jen, let me just say it this mm -hmm. way. It has to be the case mm -hmm. that all rights will be all wrongs will be made right and all rights will be elevated because and celebrated. Because if we have that, that has to be that, the case. That's right. And if we have that sense of justice, how, how much, much more does God? God? That's right. Come on now. Yeah. Here's my promise. There's room enough in the ark of God's grace and mercy for me and my family. You. Oh, that's nice. Amen. That's good. Um, Jen. And you saw the part about um, parental yeah, fidelity. fidelity. That was beautiful. The whole it, chapter was incredible. Was, was really we, how many times did you read the chapter? Like three? I read it four times. Okay. I read it, and then I read it again, then I read mm -hmm. it again. Because it's a Sunday. I got a lot of time yeah. on my hands today. Yeah. All I did today was rock climb with rock, my friends. Rock climb and eat donuts. <laughs> rock climb, eat donuts, In and read Patriarchs and Prophets. That's like literally the, best day the perfect life. day for me. <laughs> I hung out with my family. I hung out with my friends. Yeah. I went rock climbing. I ate donuts. I read Patriarchs and Prophets. And then I got to talk about Jesus. This is literally the best day of that. my life. <laughs> like wow. I said, you're a very positive person. That's true. Um, Jen, what was your word? What was My your word? word? Was justice. If you look at the margins here, you've got a J. I cannot believe your word was J, justice. J, 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 J. You've got J, J, J. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was just like, here it is. Justice over and over again. What's your word? Take a guess. Oh, no. Yeah, just take a guess. Your word was justice. Mercy. Mercy. I thought men were more into justice. Isn't that wild? Mercy. She uses the word mercy eight times yeah. in the in the chapter. She uses the word merciless one time. 
But let me just let me just wow. read you a few things here, just to this effect. Well, so we're just, so balanced, David. She talks about how they resisted the invitations of mercy. They were unwilling to renounce mm -hmm. their sins. Look at where the place or the location of resistance is. Um, let me just read you a few more here. Um, had the antediluvians believed the warning and repented of their evil deeds, the Lord would have turned aside his wrath as he did later from Nineveh. But by their obstinate resistance to the reproofs of conscience and the warnings of God's prophet, that generation filled up the measure of their iniquity and they became ripe for destruction. But men had become so hardened by their persistent rejection of light they banished their rising fears. Um, Noah's warnings had been rejected. Mercy had ceased its pleading for the guilty race. She says that. But then what does she say just a little bit later? The rejectors of God's mercy were shut out. Those who have rejected God's mercy. And then finally she says to know that it was their corruption and idolatry that called down their destruction. Mm -hmm. so, so what's really going on here? I love, love, love the fact that your word is justice and my word is mercy. Because they're connect, they're they're because they're inextricably connected. My word could just as easily be justice, right. and your word could just as easily be mercy. That's right. It's kind of cool that you know the guy liked the word mercy and the woman liked the word justice. I, think I love that. That's so cool. It is so cool. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed and that this conversation. Is, this is the cool thing is that that there's wisdom in community, and so none of us can be truly biblically Amen. balanced in ourselves. Correct. But as we come together and with community, Amen. appreciation and respect for one another and study together, there's going to be a balance that could never be achieved by an individual. By an individual. Alone. Totally yeah. agree. Truth is an emergent property, yeah. biblical truth inside yeah. of a community. What are our words here? Warning, warning, justice, mercy, love. I think warning is a Repent, good obey, refuge. refuge, warning. See what else we've got here. Justice and mercy kissed at the cross. That is true. So true. Hide. Anybody else got hide. want to share your word with us? Someone said hide. Oh, hide, like yeah. to hide. Okay, hide. that's good. Rejection and repentance, regret, refuge, consequence. Mm. Agree, rebirth. Hannah. That's Hannah. I wonder where they got rebirth. Um, it's past reboot. My... Reboot. I like that. It's past my bedtime. Michelle says Sorry. solemn. Solemn. Providence. Mercy. Mercy. Woo! Melba Taylor. Rejection. Salvation. Warning. Did anybody have justice? Nobody had justice. Another mercy. You left me alone with justice. Sealed. Contemplate. Reset. Yeah, that's, that's really Reiner. That's my doctor. Grace and peace. That guy? Yep. Uh-huh. Judgment. Patience. Unwavering. Just. My, my was just. Good. A you lot of mercies. Washed. Check. Oh, Cassandra says wise. I like that. Yeah. Man. You know what? Here, here's justice. a question. Someone said justice. Somebody Yay. said justice. Isabel said justice. Okay, I'm going to leave you all with a question as we close. When it comes to the flood, here's a, an honest question. I want you to answer this, Jen. Honest question, and I want you to contemplate this. Did God have a choice, really, given the circumstances? Well, it depends on what, where you're coming from with choice. Of course, he always has agency. I, I'm not will. talking about, you know, ontologically, philosophically. I'm saying in this situation, oh, okay. with these circumstances, no. in these people. no. What are what were God's choices in this? What were his options? Exactly. He did all he could do. And that's the point the narrative and is. And to making. let it continue and for him not to make the decision to bring the flood Correct. when he brought it would have been to add to the problem, really. And it would have been to yeah. increase pain, increase right. oppression, increase injustice. It would have served no point. 
Beautiful. There would be no. Well, we hope you enjoyed that. This is our longest one yet. And if we pray inside of the next minute, it will be under an hour and a half. So, Jen, I'm going to close with prayer. No, we had a longer one on Saturday. Yeah, that, that's yeah. a different kind, though. I'm trying to keep these under an hour and a half. And if I, I hurry up, I can long. do it. Father in heaven, we love you. Help us to lean into you, into your justice, into your mercy, and to remember ever that these things are not intention, that they are both the outgrowths right. of your love. God is yeah. love. Yeah. And Father, help us to bear in mind the lessons of Noah, the lessons of the flood, and to realize that this world that we're living in right now, it seems to be permanent. It just seems like it's not going anywhere. It's never. But Father, just as the world was consumed with water in the past, it will be consumed with fire in the future. Mm-hmm. And Father, we know that's going to be a fire that the righteous will look up and say, this is our God. We have waited no. for him and he will save us. Mm-hmm. Father, help us to get rid of that combustible material of sin Mm -hmm. so that when it is finally fully destroyed Mm -hmm. and annihilated and extirpated, we will not be. Mm -hmm. And we love you and thank you in the powerful saving name of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.